The following audio is from Citizens Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. If you're interested in getting involved with our family, visit citizenscharlotte.com connect. Well, good evening. Good to be with you this evening. If we haven't met before, my name is Tim. I serve as the pastor here at Citizens. Thanks for gathering with us. If you've got a Bible or a phone, go ahead and get to Galatians chapter 5. Uh, that's where we're going to be hanging out. It's going to take me just a minute to get there. Uh, let me pray for us, and then we'll get started. God, would you help us uh, tonight? It's a gift to get together with your people. God, would you help us as we look at your word? God, would you speak through your word? We love you. Pray all things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're starting a brand new series today called The Fruit of the Spirit in a Time of the Flesh. And we are building out uh, a framework here at Citizens for our discipleship to Jesus or our following of Jesus that is centered around three phrases. Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. And so what we're doing is we're spending time each fall over our first three years as a church, breaking down these phrases and giving us a vision for what it looks like in our lives. And so last fall, we talked about being with Jesus. And we did a series called Rhythms and Formation, where we talked about all of these different spiritual practices, Bible reading, prayer, Sabbath, silence and solitude, all of these things that help us abide with Christ, be with Him. And and the goal is that as we learn to be with Jesus, that the Holy Spirit would do what the Bible says He will do, which is transform us or shape us more and more into the image of Christ. We would more and more become like Jesus, which is our next part of the framework that we're tackling in this series, become like Jesus. Well, then that means we have to ask the question, what is Jesus like? What are the markers of Christ? What does it mean to be like Christ? Well, the Bible says that it means to have a life marked by the fruit of the Spirit. The the fruit we see are going to see in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are not simply random qualities that the Apostle Paul just kind of pulls out of thin air. This is not some random list. They are evidence of the nature of Christ. Christ is love. Christ is is joy. Christ is peace. This is the fruit of a life in the spirit that looks like Jesus. And if you're a follower of Christ, if you're a disciple to Christ, your mind, your heart, and your life should be marked by this fruit and should do so in increasing measure as you live out years and years of following Jesus. Here's the problem. Becoming like Jesus is not easy. Becoming like Jesus is not easy? Have you ever stopped to consider how much of the Christian life feels like an internal ongoing war, right? It's like you're living in one of those cartoon movies where you have like a little devil on one shoulder and a little angel and the little devil's like, do this, do this. And the little angel's like, don't do it. And it's usually like playing a little harp. You know what I mean? Like it's it's like we're living in one of those movies. I mean, I feel like this all of the time. Like there's this battle going on in my soul between living out a robust discipleship to Jesus and doing whatever it is I want to do in the moment instead. Right? Some examples of how this shows up is, is I want to be sacrificial and generous towards those in need. And then when I actually have a tangible opportunity to step up and to help and to serve, it's like my heart just kind of closes up. I want to be patient and kind, and yet I still find myself all too easily frustrated with my wife or my kid. I want to be at peace with God and others, and yet I still find bitterness and resentment and lack of forgiveness in my heart. I want to be faithful to King Jesus. I want to live for him alone. And yet I still find myself compromising for the approval of others. There's these two competing forces in my heart and they're creating a gap between who I want to be in Christ and who so often I am. This is all of us, right? 
If you feel this inner war, you're, you're not crazy. You're actually experiencing exactly what the Bible says you will experience in the Christian life. This is the internal war for a follower of Jesus, and it plays itself out in a variety of different smaller battles that we're going to talk about in this series. Love versus selfishness. Peace versus anxiety, patience versus hurry. But but my goal for us this evening is to lay the groundwork for us to understand the larger war going on between what the Bible calls the flesh and the spirit. The flesh and the spirit. So with that, let's get into Galatians 5 and let's see what we can learn about this war. Galatians 5, we're going to start in verse 13. Paul writes, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. All right, so let's talk about the flesh, right? The, the, the flesh. The, the word translated as flesh in the New Testament is the Greek word sarks. And it can sometimes be translated as our bodies or our physical desires, but that's not really what Paul's getting at in Galatians 5 when he says flesh. So Paul's not anti-body or anything like that. Here in the passage, the flesh refers primarily to our nature as humans apart from Christ. So some translations instead of flesh actually say sinful nature. And I think that's, that's really helpful. Uh, New Testament scholar Timothy George defines the flesh this way. He says, The flesh refers to fallen human nature, the center of human pride and self-willing. The flesh is the arena of indulgence and self-assertion. So it's it's your sinful nature. So this is not just some bad stuff that you do. This is not uh, something outside of you or other from you. The, the flesh is really an entire operating system and way of life that keeps you in rebellion against God and living life independently from God. So another way to talk about the flesh could be uh, disordered desires, right? They can be disordered in desiring the wrong thing, desiring something the Bible calls you not to desire. They can also be disordered in desiring the right thing the wrong way elevating something that's a good gift from God to being number one or the top priority in your life. And the Bible teaches that even though Adam and Eve, the original humans, were created good or very good, as Genesis 1 says, that we know in Genesis 3, they rebelled against God. And so now all of us who are born as humans are born in the flesh, are born sinful, are born separated from God. Our default, Romans 3, 9, is that we are all under sin. The flesh is our default operating system now as humans apart from God. But what does that have to do with freedom, right? Paul says, Galatians 5, 13, you were called to freedom, brothers. Well, what's Paul talking about here? Well, to understand the bigger argument that he's making, you have to understand the context of the church in Galatia. So Paul planted uh, really a, a set of house churches in the region of Southern Galatia around 8046, 47. And it was kind of this really powerful planting story. Like the spirit of God just moves and takes hold of people's lives and they respond uh, in a powerful way to the gospel. But Paul, like he typically did, would raise up elders and then he would leave to go to another city to plant another church. But what happened in Galatia is that shortly after Paul left, a group of Judaizers infiltrated the church. Now, Judaizers were both Jewish and non-Jewish Christians who were teaching in the early church a sort of Jesus and type of gospel. So they were spreading this false teaching around the churches that it wasn't enough to simply put your faith in Jesus, but you also had to obey the Old Testament Jewish laws as well, specifically the laws surrounding circumcision, food, and the Sabbath. So you're not a Christian just through faith. You also have to follow these religious rules and customs as well. And this really, at the heart of it, was their attempt to deal with the flesh. 
right? They're, they're well aware of the flesh, this internal operating system within them, pulling them away from God. And so they think if we can just follow the law, if we can just follow these commands, if we can just get our sin nature under control, then we'll have a life that glorifies God and God will welcome us in and accept us as followers. Really at the core, this is what we would call legalism. Right? Legalism is working to try to earn God's approval. What legalism is saying, if I can do these right things, follow these steps, do A, B, and C, follow these rules, then God will love me and approve of me and accept me. But here's the deal. Jesus and rules, Jesus and works, Jesus and deeds, Jesus and anything is a false gospel. It's not the true gospel of Jesus. And Paul doesn't take this lightly. He writes them the entire letter of Galatians just railing against this false doctrine. He says in chapter one, he says, if anyone is preaching a gospel other than faith alone and Christ alone, they should be cursed by God. That's how strongly Paul takes this false gospel. That's why he's clear. Verse 13, you are called to freedom. You're called to live in freedom, freedom from the law, freedom from workspace righteousness, freedom from legalism. That's his whole argument in the book, especially in chapter five, verses one through 12, leading up to verse 13, that you are saved only through faith in Jesus. You can't earn God's love. You can't win God's approval. It's not Jesus plus some rules. It's not Jesus plus some religious acts. It's just Jesus. It's only through faith in Christ that you are saved. The law can't save you, but the Galatians are worried right? Surely they need all these rituals. Surely they need these rules, these commands. If, if you take away the law, won't people just run around doing whatever it is they want in the flesh? And that's why Paul urges them in verse 13, do not use your freedom as an opportunity or a launching pad for the flesh, but through love serve one another. You see, this freedom is not just a freedom from Right? That's how we think about freedom in our context. Freedom from authority, from control, from rules, from anybody telling us what to do. It's not just a freedom from, it's also a freedom towards. Namely, towards love for God and love for neighbor. So in other words, Galatians 5 tells us that we reject legalism, adding works to our faith in order to be saved, but we also reject license, using the gospel of grace as an excuse to do whatever it is we want. But then that leads to another question, right? If it's not the law, which helps us become more like Jesus, that keeps the flesh at bay, that shapes us away from this sin nature, this disordered desires and towards God, then what actually makes us more like Jesus? If it's not the law, if it's not the rules, if it's not the traditions, if it's not the customs, what actually makes us push away the flesh and become more like Jesus? Well, Paul answers this. Skip down to verse 16. He says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So Paul points them to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the the third member of the Trinity, equal with God, the father and God, the son, the great helper. He's all over the place in the Christian life, right? So while you were God's enemy, it's the spirit that came and moved in your heart to respond to the gospel and belief. When you open up God's word and it's like, it's just 3D and hitting you and exactly how you need to be spoken to. That's the spirit working and moving. It's the spirit who we read in 1 Peter 1, 2, sanctifies us, makes us more like Jesus. And so Paul says there's this whole new operating system placed within you when you become a Christian named the Holy Spirit, this third member of the, the Trinity, God's spirit to shape you and to pull you away from the flesh. And then he continues, verse 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. 
The flesh and the spirit are two completely different operating systems for life. They have different motivations. They have different visions for the good life. They have different needs and they, they manufacture different kinds of desires that lead to different practices in our lives. And Paul says, you are right here. You're in the middle between the law and the spirit. That, that's, there's a war going on inside all of us and we have one foot on both sides where the flesh is pulling us away from God and the spirit is pulling us towards God. And Paul continues, he's going to show us how contrary the flesh and the spirit are to one another by giving evidences of both. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you, I warned you as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You can break this list down into four categories. I think the first two are a little more obvious for us. So the first category he gives is the category of excess, right? He says drunkenness and orgies. It's this kind of unbridled desire, this rowdy, boisterous, crude behavior, this sort of going after what I want, when I want, to the extent that I want. The second category he gives is the category of sexuality. He says sexual immorality. The, the word there that he uses is the word porneia, and it's the word we get our English word pornography. It means seeking any kind of satisfaction in sex outside of God's design. He also says impurity or sensuality. And, and these really, these two categories, are, I think the ones we think of more often when we think about the flesh, we think about uh, these kind of physical cravings or desires. But the next two categories I think are really interesting. The next category he brings up is the category of religion. He talks about idolatry, and, and idolatry is not just these little carved kind of wooden statues you'd put up in your home. Idolatry really, biblically, is anything we put our ultimate hope or trust in that is not God. And idolatry is all over the place in the world today. Like People will say, well, we're just not a religious culture anymore. I would say that's not true. We're religious. We just put our religion and hope in other things, right? We put our trust and our religion into politics and to science and to the economy and to social structures and to our sexuality. The flesh is this false worship. It says that something or someone other than God will get me through life and is what I need the most. That's the works of the flesh. The other category he introduces is the category of relationships. This is so fascinating. Eight out of the 15, more than half of the works of the flesh are about how we treat one another. Enmity, Hatred, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, division, our interpersonal relationships are a huge battleground for the flesh versus the spirit. How we treat one another is a key point of this battle, this war between spirit and flesh. And he contrasts this list with the fruit of the spirit. Look at verse 22. He says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. A few things I want you to see about this list. First, uh, the word fruit is singular. And that's important. It's not nine different fruit. It's actually nine different facets of the one fruit. Spiritual maturity, Christ-likeness. And that's important because I think it's easy for us to grab onto one or two or three of these in the list that we feel really good about because we are predisposed to them because of our personality or our wiring. Right, so it's easy to go. Well, I'm good. I'm I'm, I'm a patient person. I'm a, I'm a gentle person, 
and we can ignore the fact that, well, yeah, but you're not actually really loving, or maybe you're not self-controlled. We can elevate the, the parts of the fruit of the Spirit that come easy to us and think, well, I'm doing good in becoming like Jesus, and I'm doing good in my spiritual maturity because I have these on lock, and I'm good at these, and it doesn't really matter that I'm not good at the other ones. And Paul says that's not true, that all of these are a part of the same fruit that the Spirit is wanting to produce in us. We can't just take a few and dismiss the others. Second thing I want us to see is how opposed the flesh and the spirit are, right? Instead of the discord and dissension that comes with the flesh, there's love. Instead of fits of anger and jealousy, there's kindness. Instead of drunkenness, sexual immorality, there's self-control. There's no option for spirit and flesh. They're opposed. They're contrary. One uh, translation says they're in conflict with one another. You can't love and gossip about someone at the same time. Right? You can't be full of patience and division at the same time. They're contrary. One has to win out. All right, let me summarize where we've been so far. Paul says, you've been set free in Christ, free from the law, free from having to work and do things to earn God's love, forgiveness, and acceptance. But that freedom isn't freedom to just run around and do whatever your flesh wants. The Spirit of God now lives inside of you, working to shape you and mold you into the image of Christ and produce this fruit within you. But as we said at the start, we live so much of life stuck in the middle, feet on both sides in this war within us. And the goal was more and more as you follow Jesus, that you would, the flesh would have less power over you and you would learn to live more and more in the spirit. But how do we do this? How do we learn to more and more say yes to the spirit and no to the flesh, right? If that's the war, great. It's going to be really difficult. It's going to be really hard. What do I do? What hope is there for us in the war? That's where I think verses 24 and 25 are so helpful. Let's look at it together. Verse 24. Verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the spirit, that's, that's a rhetorical question. We do live by the spirit. A lot of folks translate it as since we live by the spirit. Since we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirit. When you become a Christian, two distinct acts happen. You die with Christ and you are raised with Christ. Your old way of living, your old desires, your old vision of the good life, your old habits and rhythms and routines, all of that the Bible calls your old self. And when you put your faith in Jesus, that old self dies, is nailed to the cross with Christ. It's done away with. It's no more. Your flesh has been crucified. The passions and desires of your flesh have been crucified. So in other words, you can answer the question, who died on the cross? Well, Jesus did, but who died with Jesus when he was on the cross? Everyone who put their faith in him. But remember, Jesus didn't stay dead. So not only is your old self, your flesh crucified with Christ, but just like Christ rose from the dead to newness of life, so do we rise with him and live with him. We have a new heart, a new self. We are given the spirit of God who is now our life. Or if I can put it more plainly, the flesh has been killed. It's dead. It's out of commission. And now we live by the spirit. So while this may sometimes feel like a tug of war, flesh versus spirit, actually, it's not even close. The Bible says the flesh has died. We're not a slave to sin anymore. The spirit has won, is winning, and will win. One of my favorite ways to sum this up is that through Christ, we have been saved from the penalty of sin. We are being saved from the power of sin. And one day when Christ returns or calls us home, we will be saved from the presence of sin. So then, 
We must learn to live in the freedom and power over sin available to us through the Holy Spirit. Paul says it so clearly in Romans 6, verse 12. He says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Or, to use the language of Galatians 5, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. I want to introduce a new uh, framework for us that's going to be helpful for the rest of this series. As we think about our spiritual maturity, as we think about becoming like Jesus, we are going to need some grace and some grit. For us to become like Jesus, we are going to need some grace and some grit. Easy metaphor for this is a garden, right? If you've ever tried to plant a garden, you would understand firsthand growing a garden takes a tremendous amount of grit. It's slow work. It's labor intensive. It's a lot of little bit by little bit energy and work and exertion. It's a gradual process. You got to go to the store. You got to get the right seeds. You have to plant. You have to work the ground. You have to pull weeds. You got to dig up. You got to work. You have to sweat in order to plant. It's going to take a lot of grit to plant a garden. But then you also know that you need a lot of grace, right? You can do all of the right inputs. You can water correctly. You can plant at the right time. You can tend to it well. But without the hand of God, nothing is going to grow. If you don't have grit, if you don't put in the work, you're not going to grow. You're not going to have a garden. But if you also don't have grace in God's hand, it won't grow. You won't have a garden. And the same is true of a life walking in step with the Spirit. The same is true for our spiritual maturity and becoming like Jesus. You got to have grace and you got to have grit. It's going to take a lot of grit. You're going to need some long-term perseverance to stay on the path even when the even when the going gets tough. You're going to have to put in some work. You're going to have to sweat a little bit. You got to tend the ground. You got to put in the effort. Our job, our work is to agree with the spirit, to surrender to the spirit, to abide with God, to create an environment by which the spirit can do the work he promises to do within us. I heard a pastor put it this way this week. I thought it was so good. He said, uh, learning to be in step with the Spirit is learning to have the ecosystem of our lives built around the presence, power, and gifts of the Spirit. You got to do some things. You got to work. This isn't legalism or moralism. This is Bible. Grace isn't opposed to earn. Grace is opposed to earning, not effort. You're gonna have to work. You're gonna have to labor. Paul says this about the flesh. Romans eight thirteen. He says, "Put to death the deeds of the body." Romans 13, 14 says, make no provision for the flesh. Some of us over the next nine weeks are going to have to start taking some drastic steps to put to death the flesh. There's some things in our lives that we've let pass, that we've maybe even cultivated, whether consciously or subconsciously, which we've allowed to live in our lives that we have not put to death, that are keeping us back from the maturity that the Spirit of God wants to grow in our lives, that are holding us back from love, from joy, from patience, from kindness, from peace. And we've made some provisions for the flesh to hang around, and we're going to need to do some stuff. We're going to need to have some grit. We're going to need to make some changes. For some of us, we're going to need to set up some accountability to confess some things. Maybe we've never confessed before. Maybe for others of us, we're going to need to set up good godly boundaries about what media we consume or what we're partaking of, what we're doing. For others of us, we're going to need to set an alarm clock. We're going to need to get up before 8 o'clock when we rush off to work. And we're going to need to spend some time abiding with Christ. We're going to need some grit. 
But we also need to understand the goal of this series is not to do a different version of the exact same thing Paul so adamantly opposed in the book of Galatians. The goal is not a bunch of rules or simply behavior modification. We can't just say during these next 10 weeks, we're going to start doing some stuff and stop doing some stuff. And suddenly, boom, snap your fingers, we'll look more like Jesus. Do you notice the specific words Paul uses for flesh and spirit here? It matters. He says works of the flesh and fruit of the spirit. That's because the flesh are actions we take, things we do, but the fruit is something the spirit does in us. So we work hard and we have a lot of grit, but we have no hope for fruit without the grace of God, without the work of the spirit. It's the spirit who brings the fruit. It's the spirit who grows us and matures us and shapes us and forms us. The life we live, we live in the spirit. So do you feel the tension here? We need the spirit of God to grow us. We need the grace of God. So it sounds like I have to work really hard if I want to become more like Jesus. Yes. And it sounds like the spirit is the one who does the work and makes me more like Jesus. Also, yes right? Somehow in the beauty of God's design, there's a tension that both are true. If you want to become more like Jesus, you got to do the work and the spirit does the work. Both and both are true. We work under the power of the spirit to cultivate a life hospitable to the work of the spirit to make us more and more like Jesus. That's the war. Spirit versus flesh. And we know one day the spirit will win. We know one day we will be glorified. We know that the spirit is more powerful, that the old self has been crucified, that it's not an even fight and the spirit is winning. But through this series, the invitation for us in Galatians 5 is to keep in step with the life of the spirit. So over the next nine weeks, as we travel through this series, we're going to look at these smaller battles that we fight. We're going to talk about love in a time of selfishness, Joy in a time of cynicism, peace in a time of anxiety, patience in a time of hurry, kindness in a time of bitterness, goodness in a time of brokenness, faithfulness in a time of compromise, gentleness in a time of roughness, and self-control in a time of self-fulfillment. We're going to have to do some things. We're going to have to put some things into practice. We're going to need to have some grit. Together, we're going to seek the grace of God that his spirit would work in power to change us and shape us and mold us to become more and more like Jesus, like he promises that he will. Philippians 1.6 tells us that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. God is transforming us through the spirit more and more into the image of Christ. Our job is to create a hospitable environment and not get in the way of the spirit doing the work we're promised that he will do in the people of God to make us more like Jesus. Let me pray for us. God, we are thankful for the Spirit. And thank you that you promise that you're going to do the work of maturing and sanctifying and growing. God, that you are going to shape us. First Peter 1 says the Spirit is sanctifying us. God, and so I just pray over the next nine weeks as we look at the fruit that you want to grow within your people. And God, I pray that we will surrender to the Spirit. We will cultivate a hospitable environment to the Spirit, that we won't grieve the Spirit or quench the Spirit, God, but we will cultivate our lives. We'll do the grit. We will do the work necessary to create an environment which the Spirit can manifest the fruit that you call us to in our lives. And we need your grace. We need your kindness to grow us and shape us. God, we love you. Be with us. That have your way in our lives. Grow us and make us more like Jesus. Pray all these things in his name. Amen.